Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you guys had a great weekend. This is your host, Veronica Pimentel. Veronica de Lara. And Cynthia Alvarez. And today we have a very special guest. We have Mr. Reza. Mr. Reza, welcome. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. This is my first Zoom, but um, I, I taught at San Fernando High School for 34 years. And I've been retired since 2002, but um, I enjoy working uh, on community projects. And one of the main projects I've worked on is the Cesar Chavez commemoration activities. So um, I, uh, I appreciate what Pueblo Salud has done over the years by supporting all of our projects. So thank you for that. And um, I hope that we can spread the word, the good news, and where we need to go, because even though we've made some progress, there's still a lot of things that aren't fair, and we can change some of that. Great. Thank you for that little quick introduction. Uh, just a little bit more, Mr. Reza, did you grow up in the Valley, or did you grow up somewhere else? What's some of, the, of your childhood memories from the Valley, if you did? Okay, I was born in Carlsbad, California. Mm -hmm. That's about 35 miles north of San Diego, right next to Oceanside and Camp Pendleton. And I, uh, my parents were farm workers and I uh, went to elementary school, middle school. And Carlsbad at that time didn't have a high school. So uh, we were bused from Carlsbad to Oceanside. And I went to Oceanside Carlsbad High School for three years. And then in my fourth year, Carlsbad started its own high school. So I, gra I was the first graduating class from uh, Carlsbad High School. And then I went to a community college. In those days, it was called Oceanside Carlsbad Community College. Now it's called Mira Costa Community College, mm -hmm. and that's that's in the outskirts of uh, Oceanside. And then after that, I uh, went to San Diego State and got my college degree and uh, teaching credential. But in in that in those years, I was also drafted by the United States Army, and so I spent two years in the military. And then when I came back, I uh, started my teaching career at San Fernando High School. The, before that, did you have any family in the San Fernando Valley? Or what made you decide San Fernando High School to teach? No, I had no family and didn't know anything about this area. It just uh, worked out. I went for an interview at the uh, headquarters of LAUSD and uh, they suggested I go to San Fernando High School for an interview. I remember the, uh, the interviewer told me, they need someone like you. And I didn't know what the heck he meant by that. But uh, at that time, that was 1968. And that was a historic year because uh, that was a year of the East LA walkouts. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, did you get to experience that in your classroom? Pardon me? Did you get to experience that in your classroom, like with your own students? Well, we did actually. 
at a much smaller scale than what happened in East LA. We had some very, um, very aware and motivated students and they organized um, a walkout and some demands. <laughs> they put together a list of demands very similar to what the students in East LA were doing, uh, but we were not anywhere near the scale because as you probably know, something like 20,000 students participated in the East LA events. We had maybe like 100 students, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was an education for me. One of the students, if any of you went to CSUN, one of the students who was very involved in that was uh, Rosa uh, Rivera uh, and Furumoto. And she is a professor at CSUN now. And uh, she was one of the students that um, was a leader. She was um, very articulate, very committed. And she even put together a newspaper that was distributed in the community. And they came up with about 10 demands that they presented to, to our principal. So at that scale, we were part of that uh, Chicano movement in the schools. So, but all of that was new to me. <laughs> I didn't really know that much about the, Chicano movement or the farm workers. I grew up in a, what is, what at that time was a very Anglo-dominated uh, community in an Anglo-dominated world. It was all before the Chicano uh, movement really was uh, that important and that visible. So at the high school, never heard anything about it, anything mm -hmm. that would have been discussing. I went to San Diego State. There were no Chicano studies classes. Now they have a very, a very uh, comprehensive uh, uh, Chicano studies department. But when I went, uh, that was non-existent. So when I started teaching, I was a um, Sal Castro used to say, I was like a pendejo or a tapado. <laughs> Because I didn't know any of this. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. I think it's time for our first.
So we went on music break at seven minutes. Welcome back. We thank you so much for tuning in this morning. This is your host, Veronica Pimto. Veronica de Lara. And Cynthia Alvarez. Today we are interviewing our special guest, Mr. Reza. Mr. Reza, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for hosting this and thank you for inviting me. So before we left off, we were going a little bit over Mr. Reza's background, growing up in Carlsbad, um, and how he ended up teaching at San Fernando Valley and his, some of the, the struggles that he saw. Um, you mentioned the walkouts um, because there really wasn't a Chicano movement back then, or it was like the beginning of it. Do you remember some of the demands some of the students had? What were some of the issues back then? Well, one of the main demands was they wanted the curriculum to uh, include the history of Chicanos or Mexicanos. And uh, they had actually um, just started uh, designing a class. And, that's, and uh, the following semester, the school did start what was called the Mexican American Studies class. And mm -hmm. so that was one of their main demands and that did get put in place. And uh, they wanted cultural activities by like uh, ballet, folklorico dances, and they wanted everything to be bilingual. They, they wanted the uh, school to be open to parents. Um, they, and they wanted Mexican food in the cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, also, they were, uh, they wanted uh, better counseling to uh, encourage students to go on to college. I would say those are some of the main thoughts that, uh, that they brought up, demands. Yeah, well, now that you mentioned college, uh, you did say earlier that your parents were farm workers. Um, was anyone else in your family college educated or? what made you want to work towards a college degree? Because I know it's pretty difficult um, when your family comes from a, not from, a, not in, when they didn't have access really to education um, as much as like, for example, we now have. So what made you take that leap or decide to go into college? Yeah, no, no one in my family had even graduated from probably high school as far as I can recall. My parents, my mother went to the second grade in Mexico and my father, he went all the way to the third grade in mm -hmm. Mexico. And so, and I didn't have any aunts or uncles that uh, went to college. And so um, it was something that I wanted to do. And I always wonder as to how I got to that point that I knew by the time I was certainly in high school, because I worked pretty hard at my high school mm -hmm. grades, and I knew I wanted to go to college. I'm not entirely sure how all of that came about. I do remember some of my uh, some of the best teachers I had. Well, a couple of teachers I had that were very sympathetic and reached out and helped me. Uh, was in elementary school, and Mrs. Shaw, very nice. I think she was like a fourth grade teacher, 
and and I and so I had a a good uh, feeling about some of the people that uh, were my teachers. Maybe yeah. that's what uh, started me thinking about about becoming a a teacher. And as I grew a little older, I knew I wanted to do something to make things better and to improve the way of life or we were poor but i didn't think of our being poor i yeah. you know it was something that i felt that i had basically what a little boy would want to have although yeah. my dad took off and he wasn't around uh but uh so we were poor but i didn't
Welcome back. This is your host, Veronica Pimentel. Veronica de Lara. And Cynthia Alvarez. And we have a, a special guest this morning, Mr. Reza. Welcome back. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Thank you for uh, hosting this program, and I'm glad to be part of it. Great. Thank you um, for joining us once again. Um, I know you had a little bit um, something you wanted to mention about Dolores Huerta. Yes, I've known Dolores for about 25 years when I was uh, teaching. I invited her to come to uh, speak to my students and she came three or four times. Um, and I got to know her over the years. I've helped her with some projects on I-5 on her way back to Bakersfield where she lives. And we got a call from Dolores and she says, Alex, I'm over here at the Burger King off of I-5. And she says that uh, I'm out of gas and I don't have any money, which if you know Dolores, that's not unusual because she never paid attention to to money or details. So anyway, we went over there and filled up her gas tank and gave her $40. But I've known her for, like I said, 25 years or so. So um, she had a, so <clears throat> celebration of her 90th birthday, but very low key. So they're gonna have a major celebration on May the 30th, it's all gonna be online. And they're gonna have celebrities like Jane Fonda, Martin Sheen and several others. But uh, she started a project just in the past month or so, when she has her own foundation, the Dolores Huerta Foundation. She's always raising money for that. And they do uh, they do civil engagement uh, or civic engagement in the San Joaquin Valley. They do immigration uh, consultations, uh, all with uh, low-income families. Um, but she's starting a capital fundraising drive of twenty million dollars, and what she wants to do is to build a structure, a building, uh, where she will house her foundation offices and also uh, classrooms and offices for uh, having uh, immigration consultations and services for low-income families in the Bakersfield area. And so she has set a goal of raising $20 million. And so the people uh, want to help Dolores and her efforts or farm workers through Dolores's foundation. That is something that people could consider making a donation. And you'll hear more about this or I'll, I'll make more information available about it. So she just celebrated her 90th birthday. Uh, and she's still going. She's wow. my role. Yeah, she's my role model. <laughs> I hope I I hope I can keep going the way she's she's kept going when I hit ninety. Thank you, Mr. Nessa, for sharing that information. And if people wanted to get more information about uh, the Bertha's project, where would they go online? Yes, you can go online to the Dolores Huerta Foundation dot com, I believe, or just put in Dolores Huerta Foundation and you'll see information about her projects, including, she calls it uh, 
Dolores Huerta Social Justice um, Center that uh, they will be raising money, $20 million. And this uh, money is going to go to the farm workers? Well, they go to provide services, not oh. just to, it will, it, it'll be a center where there'll be uh, uh, immigration services, there will be uh, training classrooms for uh, trainings in uh, civic uh, participation uh, or classrooms about health and and uh, how to access different services. It will be a full service uh, center. It won't be exclusively for farm workers, but just by the nature of the of the center, uh, a lot of it will be for farm workers. Just to get some more information, the, the Dolores Huerta Foundation, um, they can uh, go on doloreshuerta.org and then they can see all of the information that you just listed as well as the, um, the Dolores Huerta Birthday Calls to Action, which is happening uh, Saturday, May 30th, and they can check out the events on Facebook. Yes. Thank you, Veronica. Great. Well, thank you for that information. Um, I'm glad Dolores Huerta is still around with us. You know, uh, she was part of the farm workers movement, and I think it's also great to show like the woman power. You can do it. Um, she's part of. She's been part of the movement for a while now, since the beginning. So I think it's great that she's still, even in her 90s, basically doing stuff for the community, not just. Um, relishing in her accomplishments yeah. uh, and I'm sure she'll she'll continue to inspire many other people um, but I think that's uh, it for the second hour and keep uh, stay tuned for the third hour with us where we talk a little bit more about some of the farm worker issues that we are currently facing today yeah stay tuned thank you so much
fuera un poco
before we went on break, you were telling us the story of your father. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit more? Well, he was a very hardworking man. Not very, um, he, he didn't express his emotions. He was kind of stoic and uh, looking back, out and uh, where he was working in the fields and I remember him uh, grabbing um, a fistful of, uh, of the soil and he just looked at it like it was a piece of valuable art or a gem and he was really uh, connected to, to the soil and for some reason that that stayed in my memory. And I, I remember he would talk when he was growing up in Mexico about the ganado that they had and their little ranchito. And so he was a, he was a person of the, um, of the soil, you might say. That's, that's what he grew up in and that's what he worked at. Unfortunately, for some reason or another, things didn't work out and uh, one year, well, he had like a little tradition that every year he would um, go back to his hometown in Chihuahua and uh, he would load up his pickup with clothes and canned goods and things that uh, were easy to transport and take him to his family in Chihuahua. And I remember he did that for a few years or one year he did that and he never came back. And so... He left. <laughs> did you ever hear from him? Like, did you ever get whether he was okay? Just to make sure nothing bad. I saw him once more. He actually, after a few years, he moved back to the general area where we lived. He moved back to Carlsbad, and he had a he had a sister that lived in Carlsbad, and so he moved back, and uh, one day, uh, just by accident, uh, I saw him. But other than that, that was it. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Um, did well, you I have another little story that I, 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 yes, if you don't mind, because yeah, I get ahead. a kick out of uh, like your generation. Do you know what a, a Tina is? A Tina? A Tina. No. No. No, share with us. Okay, although on the screen it's, okay, well, Athena is like a tub and it's made out of- Oh, uh, oh Athena, Athena, okay. Yes. Yeah, we know what Athena is. <laughs> yeah, so now you know. Athena. Well, in any case, like I said, we were poor. So when we, when we were growing up uh, at the beginning of, um, my parents bought a, a little house in Carlsbad, but it had four rooms and we did not have a bathroom. Uh, so we had an outhouse. Do you know what an outhouse is? Okay, yeah. we had an outhouse and for uh, showering or bathing, we would bathe in a tina. And uh, yeah, when I mentioned this to students, 
I usually have to do what we just did and kind of refresh your generation's memory about what Athena is. <laughs> but for us, for a year or two, that's the way we bathed. We would uh, stand in the Athena and uh, heat some water, and that was our bath. I went to a small town in Guadalajara. I think it was called Zapopan, but it was like a really, really small town in Zapopan. And uh, I remember going into the, into the Athena and they were boiling water and I didn't understand what they were doing. Then they had like a separate bucket where they were filling it with that hot water. Yes. And then when I actually opened up to take a shower, then the water was freezing cold. And I'm like, oh, that's what it's for. Like you need a shower with the, with the hot water. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So those are some of my childhood memories. But like I said, I felt it was I felt that I had a pretty good life as a little kid. That's great. That's a blessing. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing um so much uh for sharing stories from your childhood. Just a oh, quick thanks. little thing. Um, I think it's actually time for a little, another little music break. So stick with us and we'll be back soon. Good morning. Welcome back. This is your host, Veronica Pimentel. Veronica De Lara. Cynthia Alvarez. And our special guest, Mr. Reza. Mr. Reza. <laughs> thank you for hosting me or thank you for hosting your program Amanece con ganas Siempre 
Aprovecha mi dedo 